You are listening to the Heavenly Tea Podcast, episode 52. Today we are talking with Randine Lewis, and we're going to be talking about transitions and change in clinical practice. Hey everybody, I'm Claire Pyers, and today I'm with Kirsten Wolfe, and our special guest is Dr. Randine Lewis. Dr. Randine Lewis is the author of The Infertility Cure, and she's become a leading expert in treating infertility conditions naturally. Dr. Lewis began her studies in Western medicine, and after suffering through her own fertility challenges, she overcame them with Chinese medicine. After finishing her medical studies in China, she earned a doctorate in alternative medicine, the basis of the program she now offers for the public through The Fertile Soul, and for practitioners through Clinical Excellence Fertility Professionals. Randine is a lecturer at Taoist Traditions College of Chinese Medical Arts, and she also teaches and mentors practitioners internationally via transformational residential retreats. You can find out more about Randine at thefertilesoul.com and the practitioner site is thefertilesoulcefp.org. The Heavenly Tea Podcast is produced for your enjoyment and professional development. Show notes and continuing professional development resources are found at heavenlyteapodcast.com. You can add Heavenly Tea Podcast to your favourite RSS feed, iTunes or Stitcher. You can also follow us on Facebook. All links are in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's episode and if you're really enjoying our show, we'd love you to rate us on iTunes. Welcome to the show, Randine. Well, thank you so much. So we've been talking a little bit. We're, we're actually here on retreat with Randine and... Um, and we've been talking a little bit yesterday about the way that the way that our practices work and don't work for us and different aspects of you know the beast known as clinic <laughs> you know for some people it's renting a room in someone else's clinic and you know for other people they have their own clinic with other people who rent rooms and they've got practitioners and they've got staff and they've you know the whole the whole thing and there's all kinds of other manifestations of that along the spectrum and um, and you were mentioning about how your practice had changed over the years so that's why I guess we chose this topic where do you want to start do you want to do you want to start at the start and tell us the journey the journey how did Randine Lewis start out as a practitioner what was that like for you well the Randine Lewis that started out as a practitioner was so ambitious and zealous and had a, a mission and kind of fell in love with Chinese medicine as a, as a new way to approach fertility. And, and I was so excited about it and I could not wait to get the word out there. And I was, um, I was trying to educate doctors and I was trying to educate potential patients and those that had already been down the IVF route and say there's a different way <laughs> and and that's that's really why I, I wrote my first book was to let people know that there's a different way to do it and I had at that time I had seen so much damage done by IVF and reproductive medicine and it was it was heartbreaking and so I was very passionate and um, thought I could heal the reproductive world. Mm. And I think I, I got out there a little more than I was prepared for because of that zeal and that ambition and, you know, I'm going to make a difference. I was kind of catapulted into the public before I was ready for it. You know, before, as a practitioner, I had the the real grounding experience in Chinese medicine. I was still kind of a neophyte and um, that excitement and it wasn't really well rooted. I didn't understand some of the real deeper aspects of um, kind of the, the Taoist influence of Chinese medicine which eventually became my passion. But um, first it was it was really about making babies in a way that wasn't harmful and really changing the conversation about it. So I, th I think that was, that was who I was at the beginning. 
my practice took off well uh, beyond my expectations. And it was funny, when I, when I decided to go into fertility as a specialty, and I would tell people about it, there was not one person that said, you know, that's a good idea, somebody needs to do that. 100% of people said, well, you know, that's good luck with that, a nice little hobby, but you're never going to be able to make a living. Wow. And because it wasn't out there, Mm -hmm. it really wasn't. And um, that was good for me because I had previously been inclined to really take in people's advice and and not go against it. And there was something deep within me that just couldn't. I, I had to do it. And I was like, well, okay, maybe this won't succeed, but I have to do it anyway. Yeah. And that was that was kind of a, a way to prove to myself that what I was feeling inside was true for me, for mm-hmm. where I was going to walk this walk. Yeah. And you, you prove that naysayers wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well and truly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was funny how it was really infectious at first. When I'd go out and speak at Resolve meetings and talk to people about it, the one thing that they would say was, this makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And what they had been through previously did not. They were just locked up like they didn't have a part in it. I think they would kind of drop into this wisdom that said, oh, there, there is another way. And it, it just became infectious. I was the only person I knew at that point that had a fertility-only focused practice. And it caught on. <laughs> yes, definitely caught on now. <laughs> definitely did. <laughs> definitely did. So you, you had a, a grand clinic that was bustling and lots of patients and lots of babies being helped into this world and then something shifted. The main thing that shifted was I noticed a real imbalance in my personal life and because of the busyness of my practice and my husband at the time had a very busy practice too so it was like practice came first Kids came second, and then everything else came after that. And, and when there was one day when, I think it was a patient was, was asking me, how do you do this? How do you do this? And, and the way that she phrased it was, how do you give up so much of yourself to help others have babies? And there was something that got in from that question, and the recognition was, wow. I'm neglecting my own family to help others build theirs. Mm. And my, my husband and I, we, we were kind of having some challenges at the time, and it just really started opening up my eyes in a new way, and I thought something needs to change. And so we went through, you know, what are we going to do, what are we going to do differently, and we ended up moving from Houston, Texas to Asheville, North Carolina. And, and that was a, it was a big deal for me. It was a real big deal to give up that practice, my baby. Yeah. But it was like there was something that inside was really kind of knocking at the door of my heart saying, things need to change. This is going to bleed you dry. And, so we took, that, we took that move and moved to Asheville. And I continued to travel back to Houston for months to kind of let, let go of the patients, <laughs> let go of the practice. I couldn't just make a clean break. and yeah. like, okay, I'm out of here. And all I knew at the time was I was not going to open up another practice. That's all I knew. I didn't know what was next. All I knew was what was not anymore. And that was, uh, it was a hard place to be, mm-hmm. like really getting, um, well, I won't say comfortable, but making friends with the not doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this idea, what's next, what's next, what's mm. next, what's next, that usually occupied every moment of thinking awareness. 
what's next? Okay, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. It's like next rest time. is a four-letter word. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. just kind of reeled that back in. And it was like, what's, what's next will be shown. And I had to trust that. I had to be in that place where that was enough, where I wasn't the one to get the freight train going. <laughs> so how far into your career did the shift take place? Had you been practicing for five, ten? Yeah, yeah, about. Because um, I, I started Chinese medicine in the mid-90s, and this was early 2003 okay. that I made that move. So I really, I turned, I turned my practice over to a, a lovely woman who was able to, um, you know, care for it. It's yeah. like, okay, now it's, it's yours. And, and I felt really good about that, yeah. but, but that took a while. And how was it transitioning from busy, busy, busy to having more quiet and more downtime, presumably, oh. in your life? Well, it really gave me a good look at, at the toll it took and how, how much of my identity my entire life had been focused on what I do and what I make happen and this sense of being productive and you know all of the all of the wor worldly attributes that I had mastered and you know I kind of got well known and all of those things about making a name and being ambitious and some of those things that Taoism really warns us about and I came to see the toll that it took and like whoa I don't know how to just be I thought I did I talked about it with my patients and and so I really thought that a lot of my cultivation at that point really allowed me to open up that discussion with patients but I, I hadn't realized the impact of, okay, that was just the superficial sure. crust of it. And, and much deeper was like, whoa, you don't even know who you are. And that was good. That was really good. It was like one of those deeper questions that opened up inside that took root. And it was, it was like you, you don't get the same being led by worldly ways anymore. A, a different dictate's going to take over. And that was hard because I didn't know what it was and I had no mentors. And all I had was this wisdom within that said, stop, don't do it anymore. And then it was months after that, it was about six months, that it was through a meditation, actually, that I had this um, image of a retreat center. And back then, it was another time when um, all of a sudden I thought, I wonder if I can do retreats as I didn't know anybody who had done it previously. And I thought, this would be a new way of doing it because one of the things that I had recognized in my clinical practice was how people weren't able to change. They weren't able to transition out of a lot of the um, causes of their imbalance. You know, they'd, they'd leave the clinic and they'd go back and liver cheat it up. And, you know, I, w I was like, I'm doing the same thing every week and I'm doing the work and they're not. And, you know, I was pretty good at doing the work, but I couldn't do it for them. So when I had this idea about doing retreats, it was another time like, okay, no mentors. I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. And so I started looking of people that had done retreats before and I don't remember who it was she was well known I contacted her and she said oh you'll never make a living doing that it's like <laughs> a, a retreat is a nice thing to do it's fun it's a great idea people really transform and change but you can't make a living off of it and it was like okay I've heard that okay. before <laughs> <laughs> I must be on the something uh -huh. uh -huh. so it's like I just charged in and started doing it, found a few people to help me because I didn't trust at that time in what Chinese medicine was capable of. So I brought in a psychotherapist and I brought in a re reproductive oh, endocrinologist. Wow. <laughs> and, 
you know, I had um, other ancillary personnel, massage therapists, yoga instructors, and, and then the retreats had to evolve too until finally they stood alone and it was nothing but Chinese medicine doing what it can do, body, mind, spirit, life. And boy, I had to, I had to dive in personally myself to be able to get to a place where it could stand on its own. I had to learn to trust in something in this medicine that hadn't been previously shared. And you know, it, it took it took a lot of examining my own doubts and insecurities, and these ideas like, who are you to do this? That. That imposter syndrome. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I am I'm a fraud here. I had to really encounter that a lot. That, you know, who's this white woman from the West uh, <laughs> with a medical background doing this Chinese medicine stuff? It's like, I felt like I was pretending at first to be a representative of this ancient wisdom tradition. But then it kind of got from the Wei Qi into the Ying Qi into the Yuan Qi and started rooting itself in the marrow. And to kind of overcome some of those societally imposed messages about, you know, who are you to do this became, well, who are you not to? Yeah. And that had to, you know, call on a different type of strength. And I really kind of felt like, man, I wish there were more mentors out there. I wish there were more people I could ask and look up to. And, and that was a guiding thing, too, where my own complaints about, oh, I wish it was this way. I wish it was different than the way it is. And it was like, so do it. Be a mentor. Start, start teaching, start offering it. And, and we all have that capacity. It was nothing special about me. It, we, we all have that gift of coming in touch with the origin of our destiny and what we can do when the one thing that matters is, am I true to myself? And if I'm true to myself and then the external manifestation is a reflection of that. And I had to live it rather than, okay, this is a nice idea. Mm. I was like, I didn't have that luxury. And it was like, you've got to do it. So now every time, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going a little forward here. <laughs> um, I started teaching practitioners a lot because there was a real hunger now to treat infertility. So, you know, I got out there and shared all of my early knowledge and this does this and this does this and look at it this way and da 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 So I felt like I had really expended everything that I had to do with that aspect of it. And then later on when I was still doing workshops and working with practitioners, I started to judge that people really don't know this medicine as much as I think they should. And I got a little bit arrogant once again with that. And um, this was a transition when I, I wasn't going to be doing patient retreats any longer. Where I was like, okay, I wanna, I wanna help practitioners be able to offer this. I can't be the one to do this. So I wanna really offer to other practitioners deeper ways of doing this. And, um, it was another internal shift that happened the last time I had done a patient retreat where, um, I was telling Claire this earlier, yeah. where it felt like I was a corpse. I was going through the motions, oh, I was just... doing the same thing. And they were still having good responses, but something inside of me just felt like, mm, uh. I don't want to do this anymore. And so when I felt like a transition was coming, it was always go within. Go within for the answers. Don't try to find them outside. Yeah. And so I, I did. I spent a lot of time in meditation. And then one day, it, it was like, what am I going to do now? And the, the response was, accept invitations. And I, I was a little bewildered by that. But it was like, okay. And so I was like, I'll 
and I had a lot of invitations at the time. Will you speak here? Will you come and do this? And um, so, all right. Three days later, I got an email asking if I would do some teaching at a local acupuncture school that was you know, doing a doctorate program. And um, my first thought was, oh, I didn't mean that kind of invitation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do that. I don't do that. It's like teaching at the basic level. Uh-uh, I'm, I'm bigger than that. I mean, it really was kind yeah. of a, another view of my own arrogance, and it was humbling. And by that time, I knew not to make a move if it was a no. Like, I had to go inside and find, is this a yes or a no? And with that one, I couldn't find either. Oh, wow. It was like, it wasn't a yes, and it wasn't a no. So it was like, well go see, you don't have the answer yet. Yeah. So it was like, you know, bring it into the small intestine and separate the clear from the turbid. And then it was like, well, we'll see. So um, I started doing that and it was very rewarding yeah. to be able to, you know, kind of put my, put my feet where my mouth was instead of judging what practitioners didn't know, well, teach them from the start. Yeah, at the base level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Now my work is mostly invitation. I still have the educational group and the people that I've worked with for a number of years, but um, the outward manifestation has changed yet again. And I, I kind of love that now. Like, let's see where this mysterious life is going to take me next. Yeah. And my only job is to uh, bring myself to the truth within. And then we gave you an invitation. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was it was funny because that was that was certainly not something that I would think of. Like, okay, I'm going to go out and make a living by accepting invitations. <laughs> yeah. But all of a sudden that happened. Yeah, it's funny how this retreat happened because I saw your retreat in Israel and I was like, I want to go to Israel. I want to do a retreat with Randine. And my partner's like, you're not going to Israel. I was thinking, oh, then I went, I wonder if I can just get Randine to come here. And I rang Claire, I said, let's get Randine to come here. It was like perfect how it all just, and I've been watching your retreats for years, but it was that moment. Yeah, yeah and you caught me at the right moment, moment. too. Yeah. And, you know, coming up with the time that would work when the semester was over and I had the ability to fly down here and do it. So here we are. So here we are. Yeah. You know, I, I just wanted to pick up on something you mentioned before that, you know, we all have the ability to do this this kind of thing. And and I have to say that, you know, a lot of a lot of what you've mentioned so far, you it's involved so much courage and bravery to be able to step into the unknown and that's one of the things you wanted to 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 bring up. And I think that's what sets aside the people who are putting their hands up and mm. and offering, you know, seminars and lectures and they're writing articles and writing books and they're the people who go, you know what, I might feel like a fraud and who am I to be doing this, but no one else is doing it, I'm going to step up and do it. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I really admire. Yeah. Because it does take a lot of, a lot of courage and a lot of, it's like that those moments when you're, when you're standing on the, um, I don't know if you ever went to a swimming pool when I was younger. You know, we'd go to the swimming pool and there was two diving boards. There was like the, the springboard <laughs> and then there was the really high one. The high one. And everyone wanted yeah. to go up the high one and you'd climb up the ladder and you'd get to the top and then you'd go, oh my goodness, this is like, I shouldn't be up here. This is too high, but you can't go down because everyone's behind you going, come on, come on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and everyone, when it, you know, when it's their turn, they all have the same like, oh. Oh my goodness, and then you kind of just jump off anyway. Yeah, yeah, good, good example of that. Because it isn't like, I think we have the idea that, well, I'm not courageous. Like, I'm going to wait for this sense of courage to come, and then I'm going to act. Yeah, it doesn't work. And it doesn't work like that. It's like the action, the ability to say, okay, well, I may be full of insecurities and doubts and all of the who 
who am I to do this ideas that I've carried and I'm going to do it anyway and and be able to act on it it isn't and I I do a lot of work in bringing the light of awareness to some of those messages within that keep us from being true to ourselves where we're so heavily laden by external influences that letting the the truth of the heart lead and to act from that is the only thing that we're given. That's the only thing to rely on. And so the courage comes kind of after the fact. It's like, hey, I did that. That That was cool. (laughs) (laughs) And people seem to like that. And really to emphasize the coexistence of courage and humility. It's not like this egoic, I'm, I'm going to get myself out there, which for me at first was there. It is like, yes, I've got a mission and I'm the one who can do it. And, you know, being able to kind of bow my head to the magnificence that was coming through as following one's true destiny was given step by step, moment by moment. Not as this grand idea, but as the ability to really tap into how that's moving you through life. Mm. And we all have that. And we have to face a lot of our own darkness and negativity and in order to do that from an unconflicted place where we're not trying to squelch the voices, we're trying to recognize them and saying, you have no hold on me anymore. Yeah, yeah. So now that you're working mostly with practitioners, you, you're still doing a little bit of unofficial work with patients. Yeah, yeah. How are you finding that? I still like that. I still love it. I make it not easy for people to have a consult with me. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that they have to go through because, you know, people, because of my reputation, it's like people want to. They want me as their doctor, like I'm going to be the one to make them pregnant. Yeah. And, and they have to know that that's not what I do. I'm, I'm well aware that I have never made anybody pregnant. They know that when they work with me, I'm going to, I'm going to insist that they do their own work. And I, I guide them to those places where it's quite clear that there are some deep obstructions that are inhibiting the life force from coming through and it's not easy. And I won't give them quick recipes, you know, I will give them the supports of the tools that we have to bring them into a deeper recognition of the work that they have to do. But they have to know that before they work with me. And if somebody is willing to do that level of work, then I'll put myself all in with them. But it's not, it's not easy. And honestly, as a society, we, our relationship with medicine is find out what's wrong with me and do something about it. Whether you are my MD or my acupuncturist, you know, tell me what my diagnosis is and then fix it. And we might have a different approach, but that's still, you know, we're still trying to fit people into patterns that we have learned. And people are not patterns they are manifesting certain patterns of imbalance and balance and but the magnificence of who we are is so beyond that that we use those patterns to help them come into that and when somebody is willing to come into the the truth of their authenticity and how that is lived that you know there's that's an unstoppable force and I, I also try to lead people out of the fixation of having a baby. Uh, they know when they work with me, we will not be focusing on, we will use menstrual cycles, we will use patterns, we will use those things, but that is not our focus. We will not uh, put the cart before the horse. And it's a lot easier to find somebody who thinks they can fix it for them. <laughs> yeah. So. And, and if one is in that mindset where that's where they live, 
and that's their view of reality, then they must be with somebody who can meet them at that level. I'm not the right person for them. It's a really great thing to acknowledge, especially up front. You know, put those expectations. Put those barriers in place that allows patients to or potential patients to self-select away from you and to go and find another practitioner that might be able to work with them in the way that they, you know, expect or or even need they may need someone different um, because you know so many fertility practitioners you know they're they're very vulnerable to compassion fatigue you know because it's such a such a tough area to work in and you're constantly dealing with women who are you know predominantly women but you know couples too but you know women who have just been through the ringer like their emotions are all over the place and why haven't I got a baby yet and you know where is you know how long is it going to take and what do you think of my BBT chart and you know I had a I had some discharge five days into my luteal phase what do you think about that yeah. does that mean I'm pregnant <laughs> and you just kind of go wow this is really it's really tough to be a practitioner in the world of fertility and it sounds like you've done a really great job of being able to improve your relationship with the medicine by changing the types of patients that you work with and the ways in which you're prepared to work with them. Oh absolutely. To me this walk through Chinese medicine has been about my own evolution and if I am not putting that first and I'm sacrificing that in order to have a busy practice or in order to blah 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 whatever it is then then I've got things off-centered off-balance I you know we we are the ones who can meet them very compassionately or you know it's like we can be the ones to to take them as they are to to see where where they have suffered to see how they've been hurting to see how that immense longing has consumed their lives and yet we we meet them compassionately that's the that's the doorway and we lead them into the place of are you ready to do some work here are you ready to change things how much are you ready to change how much are you willing to walk through in order for your life to be one not of regrets and misgivings and so i'm i'm a big one for in working with practitioners in emphasizing we have to do the work ourselves we have to do our own internal work before we ask another to do it with us and if we haven't gone there we can't ask anybody else to go there and so that's most of my work with practitioners. And then I do a lot of mirroring with patients for them to be able to recognize some of the ways that they've been out of harmony with life, out of harmony with themselves, and help for them to find that place where they make that shift internally, where they're not following the Dr. Lewis plan. They might start with that, but then they go into, wait a minute, how do I do this? How do I become aware of some of those things where I've been off balance, where I've been looking at things a little askew? And I remember being really touched by something Claude Lar said once about not only must we know ourselves first before we can pretend to know the life of another, but we also must watch for our own desires, our own desires even to heal another. And my desire to heal another or to help them have a baby is just simply a lie. My, the only place where my desires wash through are in seeing where I'm being led. And is that desire true or is that desire untrue? Is that something that is imposed by the outside or the inside? And I stagnate the chi if I'm asking a patient to do certain things for me. And when through mirroring I can help them recognize some of these patterns within their body, within their 
emotional makeup in, in their own energetic fields and for them to shift, then they can own it and then they can evolve too. And I think that's what fertility is about. Yeah. Shift out of the dense patterns and become a little higher frequency. Yeah. And then the body shifts along with that. Yeah, we only facilitate healing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different the way that people practice. Well, it, it, it sounds very different the way your perspectives now on you know, the, the way that you approach fertility now versus, you know, what you were doing with patients in that first, you know, five years out of school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where it's all about, you know, which herb, which point, which needling technique. Yeah. And I think we have to, we have to start there. I yeah. had to start there. Everyone starts there. And so we have to know those things and we have to know them well and I, I say know the knowledge base so well that you can kind of put it behind you you don't yeah. come from it you let it come through you because the only true healing is the being so rooted in the presence of the heart that, that does the work and then you call on the tools in order to kind of transmit that with another so that they can feel that and and that has the power and I know that that's the only thing that heals and yet I did not know that I had heard that and I had been aware of that but it you know it didn't get all the way in I had to prove it I had to have that be proved through my own life before I could really offer it to somebody else so we've, we've talked a bit, little bit about what some of the challenges are for patients and we all I guess know and see that every day in clinic but now that you've been working with practitioners a lot more well predominantly with practitioners what do you see are the, the greatest challenges that practitioners face and need to overcome okay that's a loaded question <laughs> um. we promise not to have our feelings hurt <laughs> Well, I think this is a bigger topic that I think the conveyance of Chinese medicine has been a young-oriented, male-dominant passage of TCM, and we have been so um, addicted to the knowledge base that I'm going to grasp this information, I'm going to know everything there is to know about everything, and most people remain in that realm. And I think true Chinese medicine, as I come to understand it through me, and, and I don't mean to impress this on anybody else, because we all have to be where we are with what's true for us, but, but for me, the wisdom of this medicine is so alive and so impactful that we have to be willing to relinquish the, the knowledge base. And... I think one of the things for practitioners that I have found is that it's still kind of this competitive field of I know more than you, I've got to know more than the other person, I've got to go out and learn from absolutely everybody else because there's so many masters and I'm not one of them. And eventually we have to get to a place where we let that go and we have to reside in our own mastery and let some of those ideas about this medicine be shed along the way and and let it come alive through us and I don't know if I was actually answering your question there but but to me it's a very embodied art and we have to be willing to it's like I think I think the first step of this is we learn the science and everything that we know from the classics on has been the codified, more um, male-dominant, you know, it was written down by men for men, and that's what we learn. And yet the origins of this medicine were very feminine. The mysterious mother gives birth to all things, and we have access to that. And if we can't find that and live from that, then we're, you know, we're kind of still in that overly young dynamic. 
which our entire society, our entire world is addicted to the young. Give me more, give me more. And, and I think the art of this is really being able to embody it in all interactions. Did I even get close? I don't even remember what your question was because I went off on kind of a, a tangent that I'm passionate about. <laughs> well, you know, you I'm, answered it. I'm passionate about that too and I think you did answer the question. You know, and I, I agree with you. Female practitioners are the majority in Chinese medicine and yet we are underrepresented in all areas of academia and published authors and you know who's running workshops and who's speaking at what conference yeah you know we just you know and I think you you really hit the nail on the head that getting out from under that that yang dominated paradigm where it's all about the knowledge and do you have you know are you using the right technique and have you used the right number of grams of huang qi in your formula? You know, like the, all that, what's, I've heard some people refer to as, you know, all that mental <laughs> masturbation that goes yeah. on. Yeah. And it doesn't really serve a purpose other than, I mean, sometimes it, I guess, of course, it's relevant. But, you know, we being able to transcend that and get to the next stage to be able to properly help people. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good way of putting it. We transcend that. Our, our reliance on the knowledge base has to be transcended so that we can use it, but we use it from a much higher place. And it isn't so much a male-female dynamic, but it's the, well, I'll illustrate it. There was one time when I was doing retreats early on and it was kind of catching on the public view. People wanted to find out more about it backing up a little bit here, I had learned too from Jeffrey Yuen that um, Bian Chu, who wrote the Nanjing, was a shaman who did his work at an inn. And he would take people away from their lives and really bring them into a deeper immersion and do, you know, this is ultimately kind of shamanic work where you're opening up the place between heaven and earth, and between the unborn and the born. And we must be able to reside that place. But if we are overly dictated to by our patriarchal society, we, we don't have the courage to go there. And so when I was doing retreats, there were a couple of magazines, and I was on like the, I think it was the Today Show or Good Morning America or something like that. And so it was getting a lot of attention. And one of the magazines was doing a piece where somebody came to the retreat to, you know, give a, a view, an intimate view of what the process was like. And for a good journalist, you know, they have to go out and talk to a lot of other people, and what do you think about this? And so this particular journalist talked to a female who is well known in the reproductive medical field who hadn't opened to Chinese medicine and was very skeptical because um, it, it did not conform itself well to the research protocols. And her response to the interviewer was that I was dangerous, that I'm offering women too much hope and that this was not science-based. And, you know, so I read this article when it came out, and I was so hurt. It was like, why would she attack me personally? And so I was actually at the house of Chris Northrup, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, and I, I told her this story and told her, you know, I just don't get it. I don't know why this would happen. And she, she said, ah, was she just being a henchwoman for the patriarchy? <laughs> and it was like there was something about that that made it laughable. Yeah. Like kind of, you know, holding her own. And, yeah. and so it was no longer about her versus me or she was attacking me. She just was in the role of upholding the patriarchy. Yes. Yeah. And that let me shed it. And I was just like, oh, thank you. 
And that gave me the ability because, you know, she is one, I guess, mentor I had that did kind of the same thing. She left mainstream medicine. She didn't actually leave it, but she questioned it and said, this isn't real healing. Yeah. So anyway, that's a, it's like, are we, are we upholding the structure first? Are we relying on research protocols to, are we conforming to that model? Or are we able to go beyond it? Are we able to affect the real miraculous changes when you're the first one who's done it? Or somebody comes to you with a FSH over 100 and they end up becoming pregnant naturally. Where, you know, you're not doubting this medicine at all. And yet you're not stupid with it. You're not offering false hope. Yeah. yeah. And we have to remain in the unknown with that and to say I don't know but I do know the power of this to do things that have caused miraculous healing where nothing else has worked. And I guess that's the thing isn't it I mean when you're talking about protocols I mean for, to do a, a research study you need to have a protocol. Sure. But protocols don't really have in well my opinion and I've I've seen footage of, of you saying similar where, you know, a, a protocol has no place in physical yeah. practice. Yeah. You know, what do you do if someone's coming in and they're going for, a, you know, an embryo transfer with, you know, through IVF, but maybe they've had some bad news or maybe they almost had a car crash on the way to clinic. You know, you have to treat this You shit. have to treat that. Yeah. You have to address you have to address that and what it, what's the point for that even you know like you can't even write that up as a you know if they've had a shock or if they've had you know like you've got to assess each person as an individual and and I think that's the danger with um, with the protocols is that if we're using it as a standard for ourselves internally with our own discussions around you know what are you doing you know who does the protocol then, you know, then, as you say, you know, we're not really lifting ourselves as a profession. We're not expecting more of ourselves and we're just kind of, you know, stuck in mediocrity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And training new practitioners that protocols work when they don't. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, again, with the evolution of this medicine, that the... The protocols are wonderful ways to justify what our medicine can do through the lens of Western medicine. And it's like, okay, now we have some quantifiable things where we can work with. And, and yet, okay, that's great. We learn those and now, so what? We don't come from there. Again, that's, we allow that to be in the background and we can draw on that knowledge base but we don't come from that knowledge base. This is not just a knowledge-based medicine. It's a wisdom base. It, it, you know, to me, it comes from the origin and it returns to the origin. And we humble ourselves to that and we let that come through. And then even if there's some confusion about what points should I use, it's like, well, maybe I need to wipe everything out about what I know, wipe my orifices clean, and kind of go into, let's see where this treatment might lead me. And I have had the most miraculous responses with that, where like the treatment's over, and then I look back at the patient lying there with needles, and it's like, Wow, okay, that's what was done. Cool. But it didn't come from, hmm, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and I'm going to use. It doesn't come from there. And, and yet to be able to practice this as the art that it is, the living art that it is, is what really allows the miracles to happen. Where it's only afterwards that I, it's like I, I bow to the power of this. And I know that it does not come from me. It comes through me. And I know that. And that's why it's powerful. If I thought it came from me, whew, I'd be in a world of trouble.
That's a heavy burden. Mm. Yeah. I'm curious to know what, um, talking about acupuncture and talking about points, what would you say would be your maybe top three or top, or top five favorite points to use that are not necessarily favorites of others? Mm. Oh, what a nice question. <laughs> um, the points that don't get celebrated as often as they should. I don't know. There's a, I mean, I, I really don't have the points that I'm so in love with. I, I kind of <laughs> love them all. But what, what comes to mind is Kinney 21 and Gallbladder 22. Gallbladder 22. And yeah, really opening up that da bao. Mm. And allowing the, you know, the, especially in women, the heart comes first. Yeah. The heart comes first. And if we haven't, if we haven't opened up the, the residence of the Empress and really paid homage to her home first, then how is she going to be able to access the palace of the child? And I think so many focus on, okay, we're going to use Sanyin Zhao and we're going to use um, the lower Ren points and we're going to use Stomach 30 and we're going to do Zigong Chu and like, you know, go into the place where the manifestation is. And I really want to know what's, what's happening in this home up here. What's happening in the chest? Does the small intestine need to be opened up? Do we need to go to some of the, do we need to work with the scapula to release some holding areas first? Um, oops, I got a little preachy there. <laughs> oh, I think it was great. Oh, we like that. <laughs> do you use a lot of gua sha or cupping or do you mainly use needles? I mainly use needles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but another thing that I do that a lot of practitioners don't do is I, I do a lot of qigong. I do a lot of qigong personally. I do a lot of qigong. It's like I'm in a state of qigong when I'm treating somebody. And then I, I want the individual I'm working with to become aware of it. So I'm going to have her bring her breath and her awareness to the chest cavity and find some areas in her that feel like they're holding. Not with the... Um, intention to okay I'm gonna rub this place out or I'm going to resolve the place of stuckness but I want to use that needle to penetrate her awareness what's going on here where did this come from what action what hidden aspect have you not been able to encounter within yourself that's showing up in your body so that really gives a lot more potency to the way that I work. I want to see how they're able to take what's in the origin and then bring it down to the pelvis, its mm -hmm. manifestation. And that's, that's a little different for a woman because a woman's cultivation begins in the chest, it begins in the heart, and then it goes to the womb. So, I, I do a lot of microcosmic orbit, breathing. I really want them to be able to um, use their own breath to be able to activate things inside of them. So I'm doing a lot of teaching and guiding as I'm putting the needles in. I do a lot of palpation too, where, you know, maybe I have the idea of kidney 21, but I'm gonna feel up and around there. Would a rent point be a little tighter? So I'm not going to rely on my ideas till I've checked it out in her body. And, you know, I use, I use a lot of points that you might not otherwise think of. Gallbladder 20, 22, 24, liver 13, really open up that diaphragm. I use a lot of the eight extras, but I use the, the primaries as well. You know, I don't know up front where people's um, blockages are going to be. So it's always a discovery. Like, let's see what your body is telling me. I have yeah. no clue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I've really been able to have some some patients teach me a lot, where something opens up in them, and there's this 
electric response that happens where all of a sudden you feel the, the wonder of their realignment, where you feel like, okay, that field of Shen came through big time here. You know, I could go into a lot of stories about that, but I feel like I'm talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm soaking it all up. Oh yeah, we're soaking it all up. I'm so excited about the retreat now. <laughs> like even more. <laughs> Yeah, I probably won't be delivering a lot to the hungry, grasping minds. <laughs> I'll start there. I'll, start you know, there. I'll give Maybe. them some tidbits. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we wrap up? Uh, maybe the maybe Ooh. the biggest thing is to use this medicine for what it's intended and to be able to go to some of those unknown mysterious places where we might have been afraid to go and that when through your own personal internal cultivation it it's like um heaven opens up within you and that's where the power is and you know, it's said that a, a real doctor is the one who understands heaven within the human body. Not this idea of this heaven out there, but it, it's, it's intimate. They know it. They live it. They feel it. And that's what guides them. And, and we all have that. And I guess the, you know, closing thing that I want to emphasize is there's nothing special about me. I have not done anything that um, anybody else can't do themselves. And it's real easy to look up to mentors and say I want to be like that one or I want to do what she's done and and then we become puppets and we don't become Taoists. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your, your ideas and your thoughts and your feelings and perspectives with us. I You're think welcome. our listeners will get a lot of value and inspiration and joy from this episode. Oh, I hope. <laughs> I hope. This was lovely. I love these kind of chats. So thank you so much. And, and thank you guys for making this retreat happen. Yeah. This will be a lot of fun. <laughs> We're just kind of opening up the gates for the retreat right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so people who want to find out more about how they can um, work with you, if there's practitioners who are, uh, like, what are you doing next that people can, that people can do? They can come to the, the Melbourne conference in November 2018. To yeah, that's the next thing that I'm one day doing workshop. public. I'm doing a one-day workshop, and then I think I have a... Uh, keynote speak. Am I keynote? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, shucks. <laughs> yeah, and that. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. And I work with practitioners that, you know, kind of have a... A resonance with this way of doing things and they can go to my website which is thefertilesoul.com and there's a there's a practitioners page there and so they can find out if if they want to become it's kind of a, a membership based thing because I think it's really important to have a community of like-minded practitioners where we get to know one another where we kind of support people in their own um, evolutionary process in this medicine and so it has uh, a learning component it has a personal component it has a support component and we do retreats with practitioners once a year and then I do um, video calls and we have a community forum to help support the practitioners that are apart, like I've got this challenging patient who's got this going on, who can offer me some guidance. And so that's a lovely part of it, to be able to help one another. And I've done this before, and this helps, and you might try this. And great. So. That sounds like a great resource. Um. And uh, Michael, 
my baby agrees, uh, and yeah. he's done so well. Like, he's okay, done I'm, well. I'm done sitting here passively. <laughs> I'm ready to be back on stage. Here, yeah. So. yeah. So, um, and so thank you for, for having this chat with us, and thank you to our listeners. And uh, you can check out all of those links to Randine's website and. And the, and the conference in November on the Heavenly Chi Podcast website, heavenlychipodcast.com. You'll see the links. And uh, that's it for today. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.